Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey, y'all. I'm Bud Elliott, and this is Cover 3 College Football Summer School. We've done our research on the teams, and now we're bringing on the top team experts from the 24-7 Sports Network to help us fill in the blanks. Please follow us on Twitter at Cover3Podcast. That's Cover3Podcast. And leave us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. All right. Class is in session. Hey guys, Bud Elliott here, and I'm back with another edition of Summer School on the Cover 3 podcast, where we're taking all the big college football teams, going over them, checking my notes, talking to the 24-7 sports experts to see what we got right, what we got wrong, what we need to know about these squads as we enter summer and into fall camp. Transfer portal deadline coming up as we record this as well. And today, we're going to talk about a program that's had a lot of turnover and a lot of positive vibes going on right now, and that's the Oregon Ducks. We're going to bring on Matt Prim of our 24-7 sports duck territory to talk about it. Hey, guys. How's it going? What's going on, man? Just uh, checking his roster out and looking uh, looking like things are probably not going to miss a beat too much up there, I, I would I would suspect. Uh, North champions last year and, and uh, another strong season for the Ducks. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of excitement. Um, there's a lot of optimism. Right now, around this football program, um, certainly there was a little bit of anger, uh, confusion, d- doubt when Crystal Ball left. Um, I think at the beginning of the 2021 season, few people at Oregon in that facility, the fan base, didn't think he was going f- for a while. Um, I don't think anyone really had locked in that he was going to be there forever, but it wasn't going to be in, in December that he would be gone. Uh, and when Lanning showed up, um, I, I think coming from Georgia, winning a national championship, and then just the persona he has, um, has really won over this this fan base and this athletic department. Um, they are, Crystal Ball and Lanning are very similar and yet very far apart at the same time. Um, I, I think that's a big reason why a lot of the optimism is here. Um, the focus, the intensity for on field coaching for, um, recruiting is very similar. Um, but Mario was very old school football guy centric, um, very robotic, uh, and landing is very much a people person is very outgoing, very, con- you know, connects with anybody, it feels like. Uh, and, and that's that's resonated pretty well. No doubt about it. Uh, so what, what, last year overall, 10-4, uh, and four, the power ratings didn't like them quite as much. I, I think the kind of the combination of the power ratings what Vegas has, like 38th, but still a quality year. Actually led by the offense, uh, 22nd rated offense, really efficient run game. Uh, passing game, okay, and then when it came to time to hit explosive plays, uh, really, just weren't there. It's a little more, a little more sloggy than I guess Oregon fans haven't grown up on 
you know, uh, Chip and, and all the great quarterbacks they've had there uh, would probably like. But Bo Nix comes in this year. What, yeah. what are you expecting with with, with Bo Nix and a new uh, new offensive coordinator, Kenny Dillingham? Yeah, um, it's it's hard to be a quarterback at Oregon. Um, there's a lot of expectations, and to be honest, um, some of it's kind of unfair or unrealistic because just of the run of guys that they've had. Um, Achilles Smith, Joey Harrington, Kellen Clemens, Darren Thomas, Mazzoli, Mariota, Herbert, Vernon Adams. I mean, all those guys are like some of the best quarterbacks in college football during the years that they were in school. And so that's kind of the expectation. Like when you get to Oregon, which is kind of ridiculous that you've got to be a top 10 quarterback nationally. Um, and for Bo, it's, you know, there, there was certainly some, um, uh, really, they're taking Bo Nix. Uh, that, that's strange. He beat Oregon in 2019. Um, Bo Nix wasn't really the, the you know, phenomenal at, at Auburn. That's the guy that they're going to, they're going to take. Um, but as he's been with the program, as he's spoken with the media and certainly with the spring game and his performance, the more he's out in public, the more he wins over the program uh, and the fan base. Um, I, I think the expectation for Bo is is he's the shot caller for one of the best offenses in the country. And, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that they're going to be top five, that they're going to be top ten. But the expectation is is they're, they're a top 25 offense. They're prolific in running and throwing the football, and he's going to be the trigger man for that. That's kind of the expectation. One of the uh, real changes for Bo Nix probably uh, will be that he'll have a lot better protection up front, I would yes. guess, at Oregon. L- looking at this depth chart, uh, you can say what you want about Cristobal managing an offense. And I think there is something to be said for maybe have him having his thumb on it a little bit too much compared to maybe what Moorhead perhaps wanted to run at times. Uh, but Cristobal did recruit the offensive line well generally, and all but one dude up, up there of consequence is back. So that this front front line should be – Really an exceptional unit, right? Yeah, it's it it will be the best offensive line Bo Nix will play with uh, in his college career. Um, they've got they don't have a Penne Sewell on roster, and what I mean by that is like a, a first round NFL left tackle or even just a first round draft pick. Um, but Alex Forsyth, their starting center, TJ Bass, a guy that's played guard and tackle, um, Malasala Amube. And then Stephen Jones, um, those four are all NFL guys, and they all had to make decisions last season, go pro or come back, play for a new staff. They all chose to come back. Um, They will all be – I would expect all of them to be on an NFL roster in some capacity, whether it's a draft pick or an undrafted free agent going into training camp next year. Um, And then Ryan Walk is a former walk-on who – I think is their best offensive lineman. He just doesn't have the measurables um, that the other ones do. He's like a six foot two guard. Um, very, very athletic, really good. If he was six, four, he would be a household name. Um, and then they added Josh Connolly jr. Five-star offensive tackle in 2022. Um, he will help Dawson Jaramillo was a utility guy last season. He will be in that same role this year. So, yeah, they're loaded up front. Um, and that's a big reason why there's optimism that Bo Nix will be better at Oregon this season from in- internally uh, at Oregon because 
his protection will be as good as it's ever been in his career. And, uh, and obviously he's worked with coach Kenny Dillingham before when Dillingham uh, was at Auburn. So there's the familiarity there that Matt, the, the one question I have for you on the offense before I switch this over to the defense is it, they did lose a lot of targets at the receiver position. So Devin Williams, Johnny Johnson, Jalen Red, Micah Pittman are all cross-offs on my sheet. All, all four of those guys are gone, correct? Now Chase Cota from UCLA comes in, but is is this a concern? I think to a degree. Um, Pittman never really materialized at Oregon. He was either hurt or inconsistent. Um, but nonetheless, he was a four-star guy. There was a lot of expectations that he would be really good. Um, Jalen Red. Uh, pound for pound, I think, is the toughest Oregon player in the last 10 years, and that will be missed. His, his just leadership and his commitment to his team is just one of those guys that just doesn't put up amazing numbers but just always seemed to make the play when it was needed. Um, and then Devin, like you said, went pro. Um, Johnny Johnson, solid guy. Uh, but the guys that are replacing them are all high-profile recruits. Um, they were all way more you know, sought after uh, by colleges across the country. And so the talent on paper is going to be an upgrade. You know, Thornton, Dante Thornton, Troy Franklin, Chris Hudson, um, those guys were all highly recruited receivers. Seven McGee has moved from running back to receiver. And based on the spring game, it, Amazing decision by Oregon staff to do that. Uh, he was tremendous. Um, and so there's the optimism here. The, the thought process here is they've got the talent. The issue is they don't have a lot of bodies. Like I think they went into spring camp, which is nine scholarship receivers. Coda has been added to the mix. Kyle Casper, a 2022, uh, 2023 recruit reclassified. Um, don't see that very often in football what's a realistic expectation for a reclass guy? I don't, I don't know that answer. Um, they feel good about their, you know, three or four guys in the room, but behind that, there's not a lot of depth. And so I would worry injuries happen in football at every position and what's going to happen when the receiver room gets hit with one or two injuries. No doubt about it. Um, let's switch over to the defensive side here. Uh, it, it took a step back. I, I think last year, no, no two ways about it. I mean, 60th in, in total defensive efficiency. Uh, I felt like they were decidedly more bend but don't break than they had been in prior yeah. years. Like, like they, they didn't allow explosive plays at a high rate, but they allowed uh, sustained drives uh, much more than I would have expected for an Oregon defense. I assume part of that is is the you know, the coaching change they had uh, entering you know last year, right? But yeah, uh, ultimately. Little, little too bad, but don't break for my taste. But when you have the speed that Oregon would seem to have, uh, there was a running joke that whenever Oregon would get a, into a third and long situation on defense, um, the opposing team would ha got you right where we want you because third and long, like you said, that Oregon was so committed to not getting blown off over the top, um, they would give up the third and eight, the third and twelve plays consistently um the defensive coordinator was tim deruder it was his first year um there was a lot of optimism when he showed up because ironically enough um, the team that's given oregon fits 
the most the last couple of years in the Pac-12 North from an from a defensive perspective has been Cal. And so yeah. there were there was a lot of like, hey, we we just stole the the coordinator. He's going to help us, uh, and that never really happened. Um, I think injuries also played a factor in that. Everyone goes through injuries, but I would be shocked if you could find me another team that suffered the amount of injuries and the length that those injuries were were going on uh, than Oregon. Um, Thibodeau was hurt for a while. His replacement, Braden Swinson, was hurt for a couple of games. Uh, they had three linebackers in the inside all go down, including – two starting guys, Justin Flo, Drew Mathis, in the first two weeks of the season. Um, you know, the list goes on and on. And so I, I think uh, a defense that was so concerned about getting beat deep and not allowing explosion plays combined with injuries really prevented this defense from playing its true potential. Because you're right, like, they took a big step uh, back. 2019 – they were one of the best defenses in the country. I mean, they were straight up loaded. Yeah. And you you could not score on them. You could not run on them. And they had lockdown corners. And to look at where they were in 2019 to 2021, with a lot of guys still on the team from those two squads, they're night and day. No doubt about it. Um, I, I know they lose Kayvon Thibodeau, but they bring back almost everybody else of importance along that front seven, it seems. I. Am I crazy to think they can hold serve their front seven or, or maybe even take a step forward given that yeah. KT did miss a lot of time? We were, we were, uh, the, the guys on Odds and Audibles, the, the show we do for Duck Territory, we just kind of talked about that after the spring game. Like we were running through just the depth charts and, you know, updating things. And we were like, are we crazy? But we think the D line might be even better than, than what we anticipated. And we were already kind of high on that group. Um, they don't have, the pass rusher um, that Thibodeau was on, on roster. I mean, maybe Braden Swinson turns into that. I mean, go pop on the Ohio state film. He played in Thibodeau's spot um, in that game. Cause Thibodeau was hurt and he was tremendous until he himself got hurt in that game late in the fourth quarter. Um, DJ Johnson, a former tight end who's now playing strictly defense. Um, the Miami transfer, right? Yeah. Miami yeah, transfer. Okay. Uh, he had four sacks in Oregon spring game and he could have had a, a couple more if they just didn't allow, if they allowed the play to, you know, they allowed the play to continue. Um, so two names there to, to maybe see things play out from an edge rush perspective, but up front, they are, they are really good. Popo Amave and um, Brandon Dorless were two of the five best interior defensive linemen in the, in the pack 12 by pro football focus. They're both back. And then they went and added Sam Tiamani from UW, who was also in that top five. So, like, the expectation up front is they've got dudes, and it's going to be really tough to run on Oregon because then you pair with a Noah Sewell and a Justin Flo, who's healthy, and Jeffrey Bossa, who replaced Flo um, as a true freshman last year. He moved from safety to linebacker, uh, a kid from Utah. Absolutely tremendous player. Really, really good. Um, to the point where I don't think Flo is an automatic starter for Oregon next season, just because of the injury and just because sure. of how good Bossa was. I, I think they're, the, those will be your, your big three, um, and all three will play a ton, but I just don't automatically put Flo number one in the depth chart. 
No doubt. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Matt, we'll, we'll get you out of here on this. Really appreciate Matt, Matt Prim's time from Duck Territory and the Austin Audible's podcast. I, I feel like the secondary is the one question on this team yeah. that I really have. Uh, like receiver, I feel like Oregon recruits enough athletes that they'll be okay. DB, though, it kind of scares me. Four of the top yeah. five are gone. Uh, they, they, there's a weakness on this team or, or a real unanswered question. I, I think it's DB, right? Yeah. Um, you know, Thibodeau gets a lot of the the attention from last season, the last couple of years, but he wasn't the only All-American on defense that Oregon had last year. Uh, that was Verone McKinley, the other one. He's safety. Um, he's now gone. He went pro. He will get drafted. Um, he was His nickname was The General, and he was probably one of the smartest players we've seen come through Oregon in a long time. Uh, his dad played pro football. He just knew everything, knew got guys in position, made checks, all of that. That's a big loss. And then on top of that, um, Michael Wright went pro. DJ James transferred. He was supposed to be the heir apparent lockdown guy after Mikhail Wright. He transferred to Auburn, which was a bit of a surprise because I mean, he started last season. He was really good. He played a lot in 2020 um expectations he, he'd be here he's he's no longer here and so they went out hit the portal they got christian gonzalez from colorado really good player on honorable mention pac-12 guy um they moved triquez bridges from corner to safety um, bridges played a lot last season um but they don't have a lot of production i mean jamal hill's back um he played a lot in 2020 uh, on that championship team. And then 2019 and in 2021, he lost his job to Bennett Williams um, before Bennett uh, was down for a season ending injury early in the year. Um, he was having potential all conference, all American maybe season um, before he got hurt, but they don't have much. They don't have a lot of depth. Cornerback is scary. I mean, it's Christian Gonzalez and a bunch of guys that haven't played um, that. And then, and then, in the Pac-12, too, where a lot of teams are are pass-oriented offenses, you know that's gonna that's scary. I mean, Washington State uh, they always give teams fits, especially Oregon, um, Stanford, BYU and their tall can throw receivers. It now too. Yeah, and then you throw in okay, mm. you get through the North and you you go to the Pac-12 championship game. You know, you're probably playing a Utah team who is just unbelievably physical. Or the other option is USC, who's going to just throw a ton of receivers out there. So, yeah, yeah, I I, I think the cornerback in particular, um, but the DB room in, in general is a bit, big concern. And, and if they have the spots that – if they get spots to open up from a depth chart perspective, um, they're at 85 right now. Um, if, if one or two guys transfer out, which wouldn't surprise me, I, I would think – they look at the portal to see who's out there from a cornerback perspective. Just, I mean, you have one guy that's played substantial, substantial snaps. Uh, you know what, what uh, kind of stinks for DJ James is he transferred out. He's, he's, he's an Alabama kid. Uh, but I looked at the timeline here 10 days after he transferred to Auburn, uh, their defensive coordinator, Derek Mason left for Oklahoma state. So yeah, it may not impact. It was him, a but, weird, uh, it was a weird decision. Um, yeah. I mean, it, and that's one in which you know it's it was Adam Landing's hands. He he, I don't even think he'd he'd really even stepped foot on campus for more than forty eight hours before he left. 
Um, so you really can't fault Lanny for not being able to keep him. But it was just one where it was just like, man, that hurts because yeah. he was supposed to be your your number one, and then he he bolts. No doubt. Matt Prem, Duck Territory, really appreciate the time today here on the Cover 3 Podcast, Summer School Edition, talking all things Oregon. Love to have you back on this fall to talk a little more Oregon, a little season preview, a little Pac-12 chatter. Matt, really appreciate the time, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. New CBS Monday. Federal agents! Here's where we can see them. NCIS Hawaii is back. New criminals to catch. Armed robbery, aggravated assault, murder. And new investigations to be solved. These guys were good, but even masters make mistakes. Vanessa Lachey and featuring LL Cool J. Violent Island, you got it. Welcome to paradise. A new NCIS Hawaii, Monday, 10, 9 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hey guys, I'm Bud Elliott and welcome back in to College Football Summer School, a production of the Cover 3 podcast. And today we're going to talk a little Oregon State with the help of Carter Baines, beat writer for Beaver Blitz. And uh, last year we had Carter on for our 24-7 sports around the clock series and guys, I got to tell you, Carter, he was on. He's like, this this Oregon State team, they can make the leap. They can go bowling. Maybe they can go bowling plus one or two. And uh, guys, he, he knows what he's talking about. So Carter, man, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I uh, just wrapped up spring ball here a couple of weeks ago. So uh, football's still fresh in my mind, even though we're you know, fully diving into the offseason here. No doubt about it. Uh, so Oregon State played as a top 50 level team in most of the power ratings for uh, the first time in uh, quite some time. Just a, a tremendous job by that coaching staff there to continue to kind of get guys to fit their system and develop them up. And uh, mood, mood, got to be pretty happy right now, I would assume. Yeah, I, I think things are still kind of moving in a positive direction at Oregon State right now. Um you know, news-wise, this offseason's been pretty quiet. You know, it's not like Oregon State's brought in any big-name transfers or anything yet. Um, I, I wouldn't count that out. I still think there's a lot of potential for, you know, some big things to happen over the offseason. But mostly it's just been, you know, kind of grinding through spring camp, um, a subdued spring game. You know, there was no um, – it, it wasn't a live game format. It was just kind of a glorified practice, I, I guess. Um, so, you know, like I said, the, the mood isn't like, you know, people aren't like over the moon right now, but I, I think it's just kind of the nature of this being the off season. Um, and, and once the fall rolls back around, I think, I think fans are going to be really excited to see if this team can take the next step, um, and, and start to compete for the Pac-12 North title. No doubt about it, which I mean, just the, the fact that you just said that is a testament to how good a job the staff has done so far, I think, given where they were four or five years ago. Um, 
this offense last year was dynamite. A, a top 20 opponent adjusted offense, put up points on on most everybody, really, really good ground game. Uh, what do we going to call it? Opportunistic, I guess, passing game maybe. Uh, t- take advantage of play action and uh, you know, multiple formations, motion, whatnot. I, I want to start not negatively, but just I, I want to get your opinion on this. So they were in the JT Daniels sweepstakes, obviously, and JT went to West Virginia, transferring uh, from Georgia. Chance Nolan returns, though, at, at quarterback. That they were going after JT, is that – does that say something about Nolan's ceiling? What, what what do you read into that if you do? I think it was more just kind of a testament to a, a potential lack of depth in the quarterback room. You know, you're bringing, you're bringing back Chance Nolan, obviously, but Tristan Jebbia comes back um, after a really serious hamstring injury, so you have no idea what you're going to get out of him. Outside of that, the only the only other scholarship quarterback on the roster right now is is a freshman in Ben Branson, who's still, you know, as far as playing experience goes, he's only played one drive in his college career, um, and he's coming off an injury himself. So there's really only one proven guy in that room, and and it's Nolan. And so I think the coaches recognized, you know, if we can bring in a guy who can, at the very least, create some competition. That's going to be a good thing, but obviously, if JT Daniels were to transfer to Oregon State, I, I think he, you know, pretty clearly comes in as the favorite to win the job. Um, <clears throat> it's it's unfortunate that they miss out on it because, man, I, I think they were in a great place to to potentially land him. Um, I actually saw him, you know, taken in practice one day during spring camp. Um, I know he was on campus for two days and and by all accounts had a great visit. Um, I, I think I left that uh, that situation feeling pretty confident about Oregon State's chances to land him. Obviously, they couldn't close the deal. Um, in, in, in the days since, Oregon State fans have kind of started to raise some questions about uh, this coaching staff's ability to, to close on big-time recruits and, and to bring in quarterbacks because you look at the staff and Jonathan Smith and Brian Lindgren are two of arguably the best quarterback coaches out West, um, but their inability to land a big time quarterback, I, I think is starting to raise some eyebrows, especially after what happened with Braden Dorman a couple of months earlier, a four-star quarterback who by all accounts was, you know, a lock to come to Oregon state and then flip to Arizona at the, at the very last minute. For sure. That's, that's a legit question. Um, receiver wise, they, they lose Bradford, but pretty much everybody else who caught a pass for them, or at least a, a decent number of passes, is back if if JT had come uh, certainly or you know Nolan or or, or Tristan Jebbia, uh, they got a lot of pretty good players to throw the ball to like they got to be feeling fairly good about about the skill position core right yeah and, and that was part of the reason that I felt you know fairly confident in in Oregon State's landing JT Daniels was that it was a great landing spot for him you know he comes in and he has an offensive line that was arguably one of the top five groups in the country last year um, a, a stable of running backs that's always elite and then like you mentioned, the, the wide receivers. Now, the depth in the receiving core has kind of dropped off a little bit in the last couple of weeks. Zariah Beeson just entered the transfer portal um, and committed to Washington State. Champ Flemings, who's caught a ton of passes in his career um, out of the slot, uh, just committed to Arkansas State. So two of the uh, two of the more experienced guys in, in that room have entered the transfer portal recently, but still coming back, you know, you've got Treshawn Harrison, Tyjon Lindsay, um, and a bunch of younger guys. Anthony Gould, Silas Bolden are two guys who really stood out to me in spring camp. Um, Silas Bolden in particular had two touchdowns in the spring game. So I think 
uh, he, he could really step up and, and bring something new to this offense as well. But uh, yeah, the skill positions, you know, for, for the depth that they have lost throughout the spring, I think what they bring back too is, is really exciting. And, and this Oregon state offense, to be honest, could be as good, if not better than last year. Uh, staying on, on the offensive side for, for one last question there, the offensive line does lose two starters. Uh, you know, Eldridge was an all pack 12 guy. Uh, and then I'm not even going to try to pronounce the other dude's name. It, it, uh, if you can, please. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's Noose Keobunum. Keobunum. Okay, that's uh, much much simpler than I thought it was going to be. Uh, are you projecting a drop-off here or just kind of status quo? Uh, obviously, they were very good last year, but those are two pretty good guys to lose. I, I think it'll be uh, somewhat similar as, as far as what they're able to do. Um, losing those two guys, obviously that's a challenge. Um, Eldridge was a a two-time all first team PAC 12 center. Um, and so losing kind of the, the cornerstone of, of one of the best offensive lines in the country, you know, that's, that's almost impossible to replace right away, uh, unless you go to the transfer portal, but what this offensive line returns is, is three veteran starters, Brandon Kipper, Joshua Gray, Jake Levengood. Um, and then two guys that that saw a lot of playing time last year as well in Marco Brewer and uh, Taliesa Fuaga, who are, are two younger guys who kind of worked their way into the rotation and then um, actually both started a game or two. So um, I, I don't see much of a drop off with that starting group where the concern lies is their backups. Um, there were a ton of injuries to the second and third team groups in the spring. And I, I think the coaching staff is is a little bit concerned with the depth on the offensive line. Um, if everyone stays healthy, it's going to be a great year. I, I see another really dominant uh, rushing game. Um, but if anybody goes down, there, there could be some struggles there. For sure. And Deshaun, uh, Deshaun Fenwick has a chance to step up, obviously, uh, with, with B.J. Baylor uh, departing. And that, that's I just never worried about running backs in Jonathan Smith. I feel like they're always going to have somebody who's good, and, and they put them in a position to succeed. Yeah, Fenwick's right there. I, I think, you know, Trey Lowe, what, what he gave them last year after transferring from Washington, um, particularly in a third down role, he really excelled there. Um, and, and I like what he what he brings as a receiver as well. But the one guy who has stood out in that running back room this spring and who I think Oregon State fans are over the moon about, I, I know I am, is true freshman Damian Martinez, who came in from Texas. Um, you know, he, he played big school, high school football, uh, in Texas, ran for a ton of yards. He came in as a as an early enrollee and just kind of ran away with things. Um, he was far and away the most productive running back that that Oregon State threw out there this spring. And um, you know, it's it's not something that we've really seen under Jonathan Smith having a, a skill position guy or or really any contributor come in as a true freshman and and lock up a job. But um, if if anyone is going to come out of this committee as the the featured back as as a guy who could take uh of you know the lion's share of the carries who could come contend for an a thousand yard season uh damian martinez as a true freshman would be the guy to bet on all right let's switch to the defensive side here you called this one last year as well like we didn't you didn't think it was going to be a good defense you just thought it would be improved and not more like the absolute worst in the power five which it was in 2020 and uh, in 2019 um but the top two guys at defensive tackle, uh, at least listed as D tackle, are, are, are gone in, in Shad and Skelton. Uh, how big of a concern is that for you? Huge concern. It it has been the main weakness on this team for the last 
four and a half years ever since Jonathan Smith, Jonathan Smith came here. Um, a lack of depth on the defensive line and particularly in the middle. Uh, Oregon State runs a 3-4 scheme. And as we know, if, if you're running a 3-4, you need a big body in the middle who can kind of, you know, take up two guys um, and, and create some some lanes for your other pass rushers. They haven't had that. And and this year it's, you know, that depth, it's, it's razor thin. Um, there were a couple of injuries in the spring. And what we saw is, you know, guys are running with the first and second team. Um, you've got outside linebackers lining up at D end to, to fill in some spots. And, you know, it's, it's a concern. It has been for the last couple of years. And I don't think they've really shown anything or, or done anything on the recruiting trail or via the transfer portal to, um, to alleviate, alleviate my concerns there. What I will say is what, what this defense can do this year is make up for its personnel deficiencies schematically. Trent Bray comes in as as the uh, well in his first year as the full time defensive coordinator. Uh, he took the interim job last year after Tim Tibisar was fired after a, a really poor performance against Colorado on the road. Um, and and what Bray brings is a really aggressive scheme. It's one that's going to throw all sorts of blitzes at, at these Pac twelve offenses. Um, it's one you know you're going to see linebackers in the backfield with a, a ton of regularity. And um, early indications from spring camp are that, you know, these players have fully bought into it. And what I saw is a defensive front seven that created all sorts of havoc for Chance Nolan, Tristan Jebbia, and Ben Goldbranson in the backfield, uh, which is a great sign because, you know, to to be honest, your defense should be ahead of your offense in the spring. Um, But I hadn't seen that at Oregon State over the last four years. So to see that finally kind of uh, come to fruition is, you know, for, for as many concerns as I still have, it's it's exciting to see. So losing the two backers, uh, Robertson and Hughes-Murray, no, not as nearly as big of a concern for you as the 2D tackles, I assume. No, I, I don't think so. Actually, I'm, I'm pretty high on the outside linebacker room. Okay. Um, Andrew Chatfield comes in from, from Florida. You know, he was uh, somewhat of a role player there early on in his career, and he comes in here and I, I think is a lock to start on the edge. Um, he could be an absolute difference maker there. Um, at inside linebacker, Kyrie Fisher – is, is stepping in for Avery Roberts and I, I think could be as productive as, as Roberts. Um, this defense is really catered to, um, you know, putting inside linebackers in positions to make tackles on every play. Uh, the, the defense runs around those two guys. Um, and, and Fisher has, has shown, you know, every bit of playmaking ability that, that it takes to play that position in the Oregon state defense. So one thing that's got to be kind of excited here is, you mentioned that under the new DC, a lot more blitzing, uh, uh, you know, more exotics, trying trying to force the issue and, and create pressure. Uh, having a secondary that loses, I don't have any cross offs on my sheet. Uh, well, Elijah Jones, I guess. Uh, I don't know why I crossed him off. I must have read something so, at some point. It's, it's, he may still be there. Like every single person is back. Yeah, What's everyone except except for Jones. He was a redshirt senior last year, okay. so, so he that, just ran out of eligibility. Gone. Um, he wasn't even really a, a contributor last year, to be honest. So yeah, as far as, you know, your starters and, and your immediate backups go, everybody is back. Um, the one guy that, that I am still kind of keeping an eye on is Alton Julian, who tore his ACL last year. Um, whether or not he's able to go is, is still kind of up in the air. But um, if, if he is, he slides in as, as one of the two starting safeties and, and a guy who I, I thought really broke out last year before he had that ACL injury. But 
what I've been saying all spring is that this secondary is the best that Jonathan Smith has had at his disposal. And it's the absolute strength of this defense. So, um, you know, I, I think the secondary has actually been pretty solid the last couple of years. It just doesn't show because Oregon state hasn't been able to pressure the pocket. Obviously right. if you're letting quarterbacks, you know, work all day back there, that makes, <laughs> it makes life pretty tough on your, on your DBs. But, um, from what I've seen under Trent Bray at, at DC is, you know, there is more pocket pressure that allows things to kind of develop more in Oregon state's favor downfield. Um, and, and I think if, if that translates to the games, uh, they should be able to capitalize on what I think is, like I said, the best, the, the best crop of defensive backs Oregon state's had under Jonathan Smith. No doubt about it. I mean, I, I don't think I'm picking this team to win the North, but if you look at the schedule, your four road games are at, at Arizona State, at Washington, at Stanford, at Utah. I mean, I don't know what Washington's going to look like. I like how they get Arizona State way late in the year when, when it could just be total collapse mode, potentially, get, given all the guys who are exiting their program as we literally as we speak today. Uh, at Stanford is not particularly intimidating to play. Um, this could set up if things can click and they, they can kind of, you know, Crush fingers that they they stay healthy along along the interior defensive line. Uh, they they could have a special run here. Yeah, I think a top two finish in the Pac-12 North is within the realm of possibility here. Um, I actually, you know, I, I kind of made a bold prediction when the the JT Daniels sweepstakes was was at its at its peak. Um, I, I said if Oregon State lands Daniels, this is a Pac-12 North title team. Um, so I, I think that they were that close to getting over the hump. Um, and so, you know, without Daniels, obviously things become a little bit more difficult. You're relying on Chance Nolan to get things done on the offense. Um, and I, I think, you know, he still has a decent amount to prove there. But the pieces are there for Oregon State to win eight or nine games. It, it just, you know, they just need a couple of breaks to go their way this year. And it, I look at what they did last year. They won seven games and, to be honest, lost two games against Colorado and California that they should have won this team could have very well been a nine win team last year. Um, and, and I think what they bring back compared to what they lose, um, this team is no worse than they were last year. So seven wins should be the expectation. Um, but, but I think fans should be optimistic about their ability to win eight or nine. No doubt about it. Carter Baines, Beaver Blitz, really appreciate you joining us here on the cover three college ball podcast for our summer school edition. And we'll have to have you back on come fall. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Always a blast. All right, that's the bell. Cover 3 College Football Summer School is over for today. But don't worry. We'll be back soon with even more episodes filling you in on the top teams in college football. Please give us those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on YouTube and on Twitter at Cover 3 Podcast. And we'll see you all soon. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League Podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.